Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Hey, good evening. How are we doing? We're there. We're here. The kids are here. I think I just want to say for all of you children's volunteers, thank you so much. Tonight we're going to experience what it would be without you on a Sunday. So God bless you guys. And all the parents are like double amen. Um, but we do have this, this 20 so minutes. Just give me 20 minutes is what I'm looking for to talk about the meaning of Christmas and talk about what Christmas is all about. Because between Elf on a Shelf, hi Bubba, that's my boy, I see you. Between Elf on the Shelf, Santa Claus, holiday shopping, Christmas anxiety, what is Christmas all about? And so I want to just focus in on what it is. And, and it's, I think, a little bit different than what we're used to. So if you have a Bible, there's a couple of stories in the Bible. Jesus never talked about his birth story. Uh, Paul never wrote about it. It's not in the epistles. It's only found in Matthew and Luke's gospel. And so what does the birth of Jesus have to do with anything anyway? So let's read this from Matthew's gospel. And if you're new to the Bible, it's the first book of the New Testament, about three quarters of the way into the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. I'm going to read Matthew's account of something that happened 2,000 years ago, historically. So it says this in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid or to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet in Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which in Hebrew means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. She gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And so Matthew begins the story with something much bigger than just the Christmas story. In fact, it's, it's telling a much larger story um, that starts way off in a long, long time ago. It's not the Star Wars story, although I would love it to be. But actually, it does begin in a much bigger, broader narrative. That's just for me. That was not for you. <laughs> Every time I can, I will put hip hop and Star Wars in a sermon, just so you know. So we don't have Chance the Rapper tonight. We have Star Wars. So anyways, but we could do Chance. Because he does say in his most recent song, teach them about Jesus before you teach them about Santa. And referring to parenting. Great parenting advice. Anyways, so now you got two for two. So the story of Matthew is unique because it, it paints this this biblical narrative of, of, hey, there's this son, you're going to call him Jesus. And then this is to fulfill what the prophet said in the Old Testament in Isaiah. And he had the name Emmanuel. So it's kind of confusing if you're reading the story for the first time because they give him the name Jesus, but it's to fill what was prophesied in the Old Testament 700 years before Jesus is born 2,000 years ago. So 2,700 years ago to fulfill something that was said 2,700 years ago about some dude named Emmanuel. Now, both of these, both of these names are important 
Because Genesis begins the story of the Bible with the story of creation. And in the beginning, God creates everything, the heavens and the earth. He creates the animals, the elf on the shelf included. He creates, he creates dogs. And scholars debate whether cats were created at all, or if they were a, f- a result of the fall of man. Um, you're right. Amen. <laughs> no, God creates everything and it was good. And he creates humans and it was very good. And, and that what you read in Genesis 1 and 2 and part of chapter 3 is that humanity was designed to live in perfect loving relationship with God, with ourselves, and with each other. That we were designed to live in perfection. And the way it was supposed to work was like this. Our relationship to God impacted our relationship to everything else. And without this being put in right order, everything else would be in chaos, much like a family service at the garden. But, just kidding. Just kidding. It's not an ouch. Um, But we had a choice in the matter. We could choose to live life the way God intended it to be. In harmony with God. Or we could choose to live without God (laughs) and go our own way. And guess what? Humanity chose to go without God. And as a result, sin entered into the story of creation, which was never designed to be like that in the first place. And everything went into chaos. And so we, as humans today, know about sin. Sin is this biblical word meaning to miss the mark. But essentially, it's living outside of shalom, living outside of perfection. Anyone here married? Anyone have kids? you know that we are naturally disobedient. Would you agree? Conflict emerges when two people get, decide to get married. Conflict emerges when your two-year-old has a, an opinion in his own right. We chose to live outside what we were intended to live with in the first place. And so sin enters in, brokenness, anxiety, chaos, death, despair, anger, divorce, all, we can just look at the effects and see that we are not living in perfect harmony. But that's not the way it was intended to be. And what you see in the beginning is actually God's presence was with everyone. God's presence casually dwelled in creation. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this, that then Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So in the beginning, it was designed to live in perfect loving uh, harmony, but we chose something else. And the rest of the Bible, so if you, took, if you were to open up the Bible and move to Genesis chapter 3, so that's that much of my Bible is without sin. The rest of the Bible <laughs> is God trying to restore what was designed in Genesis 1 and 2. And Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus, his name translates from Hebrew, to God saves. Jesus means, his name itself means God saves. God saves us from brokenness, from the vandalization of shalom, from despair, our corrupt nature, all that stuff. He died on the cross for us. God saves. That's part of the story of the Bible, that God comes to save. But also Jesus is the fulfillment of Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means, in Hebrew, God with us. Now, stay with me for a few more minutes, just like one, or two, one and a half more pages of notes, okay? Give them some um, snacks, some treats, some chocolates. <clears throat> By the way, um, family pictures around a year and a half, uh, with a year and a half, uh, an 18-month-old, sorry, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, they say it's a good idea. It's not a good idea unless you have bribery and snacks involved. Don't forget the snacks. Don't forget 
the snacks. This is what my wife was telling me yesterday as I forgot the snacks. Anyways, <laughs> I'll save you um, some chaotic moments of stress. So God with us. Now the emphasis, you can look at it like this. God with us. Emmanuel is God. Jesus is God in flesh. He is God, the creator God incarnate. He's the embodiment of the creator God with us. Or what the Hebrew emphasizes is God with us. Meaning the creator God is with his people. He's not far away. He's not over there. He's not absent. He's put on flesh and bones and moved into the neighborhood. Christmas is the story, is, isn't, uh, is, the Christmas story isn't just about the godness of Jesus. It's about the witness of God. God's desire to be with his people. God's desire to be with us. Emmanuel reveals that God is relational. God desires a relationship. And Christmas reveals that God wants to be in relationship with you. So the question I have tonight is just how do you relate to God? I want you to think about this for a moment. How do you relate to God? Now, 2,000 years ago when Matthew was written, there were ways of relating to the various gods. 2,700 years ago when Isaiah was written, there were different ways of relating to those deities or that God. And it was based on your knowledge of the gods. So there was once a time where statues were built to these various deities and your life reflected the way you viewed the gods who had power and control of the universe. So you were constantly living in chaos and anxiety and stress because you didn't know where you stood in the cosmos with the deities and the gods. So there were various ways to appease the gods, Zeus and Hermes and, and Artemis and all the other gods that were in the Old Testament or, or that, that were challenging Yahweh or Jesus. Now, we don't have statues today, but we have the same problem, even as Christians. We, we don't know necessarily how to relate properly to God, but Emmanuel reveals how God wants to relate to us. The question is, how do you relate to God? So when I was growing up, I thought that you had to, you had to earn God's love and favor. So it was kind of like this. God expected us to move boxes, metaphorically speaking, of course, but these are literal boxes. So my life was about getting my life in order. I had to do as much as I could to make sure that my sacrifice on the cross was worth God's sacrifice or God's sacrifice on the cross. I didn't die on the cross. Um, just so you know, I'm still here, was worth it. And so we do, we get our life in order. We get our sin together. We start confessing. We get in these small groups and we talk about all the stuff we do. We give lots of money. We, I started a homeless ministry when I was 20 years old. I wanted to go to downtown LA and show God that he, I was worth it. And we do all this stuff to make God happy. But the problem with that is there will always be more boxes to move. No matter how good you get at it. You'll, there will always be more boxes in what Christmas and what the story of Jesus reveals is you don't have to move any boxes. We don't do boxes here. Unless you work for Amazon. Other people relate to God as the angry traffic cop. You heard of this one? Right? Like I was driving back from Bakersfield a couple last week. I was going a little too fast down the grapevine as you do with everyone else doing it, Okay. My wife looks over. You're going a little fast. We see a police officer in the front. I slow down. I change lanes and I be panic mode. And I start looking behind me, terrified, realizing that, oh, I'm going to get caught. Everyone else is doing it. I was slower than the guy next to me. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? And you just live your life waiting for the shoe to drop. You're waiting because circumstances are going to come. It's been a really good season. It, it's going to happen. 
because God's like an angry traffic cop. Anyone else relate to God that way? Maybe it's just me all by myself. I think many of us, it's like God's like the, uh, like a ladder. Hey kids, check this out. (laughs) And I think many of us see, whether we believe in a higher power or not, there's this sense that we have to pursue this enlightened, elevated spiritual space. And so we climb the spiritual ladder, ladder of enlightenment. It might be a diet at first, keto diet. It might be keto this month, whole 30 next month. You know what it is. There's always something else. And then it's like yoga, or we practice our spirit, or we find the secret, or this one book, and we climb up the spiritual ladder trying to get perspective, to be elevated, to have some type of higher power and purpose over the rest of us. And as long as we stay educated, as long as we stay healthy, we'll get to this other place up here, and then eventually we'll arrive, right? You guys scared like I am? I'm terrified right now. I didn't practice this. No, I did. I did. Um, but many of us actually live here. Like we think there's, once you have education, there is no higher power. There's just what you feel and experience and being kind. There's no deity. There's no God. And a lot, that's what secularism is about. But secularism is clearly collapsing the utopian society that was promised by enlightenment thinkers in post-modernity. It's failing. Why is everyone so anxious Why is society falling apart, not just in the U.S., but all over? Why? Because secularism is failing. This utopian myth doesn't work. Yes, there's another way to relate to the gods. The gods are angry. God's not angry. There are no boxes. There are no ladders. We don't do ladders. We don't do spiritual checklists. We have a God who reveals himself to us as a with us God. So how do you relate to God? How can you relate to God from Scripture? Now, hang on. We're almost there. Coming in for landing. Christmas reveals Emmanuel. This is the one heady part I need you to grasp because I discovered this this last week and I was like, oh my goodness. As uh, as someone who studies the Scriptures for a living, this changes everything. So check this out. I'm going to quote an article from a Hebrew uh, translation or, or website that describes Uh, the meaning of words. So check this out. The word Emmanuel in Hebrew is a fascinating word because we know the name Emmanuel means God is with us. The the verb to be is usually omitted in Hebrew, but actually something more nuanced is going on. Hebrew uses the verb to be only when a behavior is specified that defines whatever is doing the behaving. So check this out. In Hebrew, a sentence like the dog is outside does not reflect the dog dozing in the shade, but a dog displaying behavior by which we recognize that it's a dog. Perhaps it's running after a squirrel and barking like there's no tomorrow, whatever. When the Hebrew says that the dog is, the dog is busy being a dog like this. (laughs) And that means that When God calls himself I am, which is the Hebrew word Yahweh, he means that he is very busy doing his thing, being what God is, being who God is. But the name Emmanuel, however, lacks the verb to be. Check this out. And denotes a passive presence of the Most High. In other words, the name Emmanuel does not so much emphasize God working in us or even working for us, but rather a coexistence with undetermined results. It reflects God's casual walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the description of his presence of the Lord in the new Jerusalem. 
God is with us casually with undetermined results. Isn't that beautiful? But what does that mean exactly? How do we relate to that? And I was wrapping my mind around what does it mean to have a life with God? And then I had this experience with my five-year-old two weeks ago where I took him to the dentist for the first time. I took my son to the dentist in Fashion Island in Newport because I have a friend who owns a practice there and he, he agreed to see my son Ezra. And we walk, we go to the seventh floor overlooking Newport Beach. Perfect setting to get your teeth worked on. <laughs> the, the staff just are overwhelmed with my boy, asking him questions. He's quietly next to my leg, holding on to me, saying yes and being very polite as best as he could. We get up to the room and walk past all the operations going on. He goes up into the corner room with a view of, fas- uh, of the water in Newport Beach. And they lowered his, the dentist chair, which is way too big for him. And he sits up on there. And then I sit across from him. I get as close as I can to him. And there's all this medical equipment there. And he begins to get nervous. And I begin to explain to him all the stuff in the room. Like this funny water thing. And I squirt it and it shoots out. And then I do the suction thing. I don't have the technical names. I don't know what they are. But I was describing, this thing sucks. This thing squirts water. And it becomes a fun environment. And then one of the um, nurses comes in, and they're going to do x-rays. And they say, Daddy's going to have to go out, and you're going to have to get x-rays. And he begins to have fear and panic. And he begins to well up and get scared, as a five-year-old would in a dentist's chair. And so they pull out this heavy, massive x-ray blanket, which weighs 50 pounds, and they place it on my five-year-old's body. And I begin to leave, and I think to myself, what if I know what I can do? And I, I ask if I could sit on the chair, and he just sits on my lap. And for the rest of the dentist procedures, Ezra was completely fine. The fear disappeared. The anxiety was gone. He was no longer scared of anything that would happen because I sat underneath him, with him. Nothing about life circumstances changed, but everything about Ezra's perspective changed with God. You see, this is what God is getting at. He's not saying in Emmanuel, your life, if you come into relationship with him, your life's going to magically work out like a Disney Pixar film. Although most of them aren't necessarily doing that anymore. They're more emo films these days. And they just, yeah, anyways, let's not talk about Disney. Um, It's, yeah. And so, what was I saying? You come to God, you think it's going to work out like he's a spiritual commodity, right? Like, but that's not the point. The point of a with us God is he wants to be in relationship with you. And as you learn, like my son did, to be in relationship, sometimes all it takes is perspective to know that nothing necessarily has to change about the circumstances, but it changes everything to know that he's with you as you journey through life, never alone. And for many of us, that's good news. Let me, let me just illustrate this. And I don't know how this is going to work out because I've never done this before. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool to illustrate the power of with? Can we do something vulnerable for a moment? I need audience participation. And I need another microphone. So where is the Majon? Thank you. I see you anticipating my needs like a true friend. There you are. <laughs> Is my wife here? Practice. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. She does. She's perfect in every way. Thank you. Thanks, John. Okay, so can we do this? Quick moment of intimacy, and, and then we'll close out with some singing and chocolate. So would you be brave enough to raise your hand if you, in the last year, year and a half, you've lost somebody that you loved? Just keep your hand up. I want you to look around and keep your hands up. 
Keep your hand up. Look at this real quick. Because Christmas is a sweet, magical time. But it's also a time where we remember those who are lost and we feel lonely. We feel hurt. We feel like we're, nobody else is experiencing what we're experiencing. Hey, Anessa, I wasn't planning on doing this, but would you just come up here with me? Do you mind? You can bring him. You want to bring the, the grandbaby? Come on. Come here. Okay, this is my friend, Anessa. Would you welcome Anessa? I didn't know how this was going to go, but I want to do something. Anessa, I know that you lost somebody you loved. Mm-hmm. Would you just tell us who that was? That's my uh, 21-year-old nephew, Dylan. When did he die? Uh, April last year. Suicide. It's been really hard, huh? First Christmas back. Say that again. This is the first Christmas back. Can we do something? For those of you that know her, for those of you that feel what she feels right now, would you just come up here? I know it's going to get messy and chaotic. Would you just come up here real quick? Even if you're in the middle, just stand up. Those of you that have lost a loved one and as she begins to share, you know how that feels. I just want you to see this moment. Yeah, this is great. Vanessa, I want you to just look around real quick. See, nothing about the circumstances have changed. But this is the power of with. We're with you. And we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus and we begin to understand Emmanuel, this is what we experience. We're never alone again. And so I don't know what Christmas is like for you, Maybe you're like Anessa who's experiencing the first Christmas without her nephew. Maybe you don't have a faith or maybe you're carrying these distorted views of God around and you're moving the boxes, you're checking off the spiritual checklist, you're climbing up the spiritual ladders. But let me remind you, Christianity is about God with you. He's not angry, he's not disappointed. We don't do boxes, we don't climb ladders. (laughs) We don't have to prove anything. We just have to accept him as he is. And from the beginning of time, God's been moving closer and closer to you. He's put on flesh and bones. He's moved into the neighborhood so that you would have life with him. So that's what Christmas is about. It's about God being with you. And I want to invite you to know him. And I want to invite you to learn to live life with him this Christmas. So can I just say a prayer? And then we'll close our time together. So I'm going to say this prayer. Um, And if you're here and you would like to just rededicate or recommit or just begin a relationship with God, uh, I want to invite you to pray this prayer after me. Lord, I just want to surrender my life to you. And you can do this in your own head. I want a relationship with you. Thank you for being with me and dying on the cross for me. Teach me to follow your ways for the rest of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me a vibrant life. I pray that you would protect me against the enemy. And I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.